Welcome to Ops Fitness Podcast. We are your number one source for everything fitness related for first responders. I am your host, Scott Bisbee, and we are interviewing today, Philip McDougall. Hi, everyone. This is Scott Bisbee at Ops Fitness, and today we have a very special guest. Uh, his name is Philip McDougall out of uh, the UK. He's now living in uh, San Diego and an ex-Royal Marine. Phil, how are you doing? Hello, Scott. Yeah, very good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. That's good. Uh, so tell me a little about yourself, Phil. How long were you in the military for and what brought you into fitness and more specifically San Diego? Well, um, that's uh, quite a long story. I'll try and cut it as short as possible. I served for six years as a Royal Marines commando, uh, specialized in heavy weapons, anti-tank. Uh, did two tours of Afghanistan. Coming back from my second tour, I went to New York City and, and Vegas to celebrate a successful trip. And that's where kind of the, the, the everything kind of turned upside down. I, I initially joined because I wanted to, I saw myself spending 22 years doing full service, but then I met my wife in New York City during Fleet Week. Nice. So, um, yeah, there was uh, thousands of U.S. and Canadian sailors around and yeah. all Royal Marines. So we were the odd uniforms out and managed to um, get a bit of uh, attention. So um, anyway, I ended up meeting my wife and... Uh, we subsequently spent six years living in London, working as a trainer and a sports massage therapist. Then uh, James Brees wanted to move the head office of Strength Matters to San Diego. So here we are. Nice. But as quick as I can cut it. No, no, that's fine. Uh, I actually, uh, when I served, I heard... Uh, a lot about uh, Fleet Week, uh, the Canadian Navy. I heard so many stories from the guys. Uh, it's, it sounds like it's a blast. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Royal Marines, uh, that's the equivalent of, uh, say, uh, SEAL Team 6 in the U.S. for uh, some of the listeners that really don't know. I would say... It's really hard to, I don't think there's a U.S. equivalent. Okay. Um, we're certainly, I, I would say, we're, we're somewhere in between, if you, if you want to make it a, a, a kind of, to, to describe it best, I'd say somewhere in between USMC and maybe SEALs. Okay. We, uh, we're more specialized than USMC. We work in much smaller numbers. We, uh, we're, you know, we, we don't, the USMC tends to, kind of remain vehicle born for the most part. We spend a lot of time on foot and working like much, much smaller groups. Um, but again, that's probably something to do with the much less budget that the UK has compared to the US. Um, uh, but yeah, nowhere near as specialized as the um, uh, US special forces. So um, kind of somewhere in the middle. Okay, right on. Um, I um, when I was in basic training, uh, one of the instructors uh, told us a very fascinating story, and I'm wondering if uh, the British soldiers are the same. Uh, basically, he said to us that uh, uh, four 
American soldiers are the equivalent to one Canadian soldier, meaning uh, one Canadian soldier knows more than just a trade, like the soldier first. I'm not sure if he was just bragging because he's saying the Canadian forces were the best, but is that kind of the same with uh, Britain? Or? It, it sounds very much like uh, very common stereotypical military banter between <laughs> one unit and another. Yeah, no, makes sense. There's a lot of ba banter in the military, that's yeah, for sure. sure. Um, I, I, I guess I never heard anything quite like that. But I, yeah, you, between regiments, you know, so within, between companies within the Royal Marines, there's a lot yeah. of banter, you know, Lima Company. Yeah, K company at soldiering and are more physically superior, but then there's huge banter between the Royal Marines and the Paras, uh, you know. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the Royal Marines are working with the Paras and the Americans Americans are involved, then all of a sudden we're referring to them as Yanks and making fun of the way that they never leave their vehicles. Yeah, and it, it's just it, it's just banter. I wouldn't say you know. I would. I, I, you can't. I don't think you can say that any one unit is better than another. I think no. the only way you can uh, describe it is um, who gets the job done the best at the end of the day. Um, and I have my own opinions on that. But um, yeah, I don't want to start a fight. <clears throat> well, uh, his story was kind of effective because he was teaching us uh, weapons, and uh, this uh, happened right after when uh, one of the American soldiers got captured uh, overseas. Uh, she was, uh, um, uh, I think she was a cook or something like that, and uh, she was in the vehicle, and the vehicle just quit, and there was uh, some Iraqis got her because her weapon jammed and uh, she froze. She didn't know what to do. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, speaking of Iraq and Afghanistan and all that, uh, from the written interview and what you just mentioned, you were on two tours in Afghanistan. They sounded pretty lively. Are there any other tours that you have been on or any close calls you care to share? Um, well, just been on the, on the two seven-month tours, but both tours were very lively. We, uh, within the first two weeks of my very first tour, we were flying into battle. Um, uh, specifically remember my very first Virgin flight on a Chinook helicopter into a real war zone. And the, the bit I particularly remember about that, that I'm sure I can, I can share without getting into any trouble, is um, every man on this Chinook helicopter, obviously we've taken all the seats out in order to fit us in with all of our kit. So we're all just standing there feeling like, you know, completely vulnerable to being tipped over and, you know, potentially feeling like you're inside of a big washing machine. Um, and uh, we all had to carry um, two mortar, grenade, mortar rounds in each hand. Okay. So like eight kilograms in each hand now. You know, for those in the strength industry, that's, you know, sounds like nothing. It's like carrying a pink kettlebell in each hand, right? <laughs> yeah. With a machine gun strapped around your... You're hanging around your neck like a heavy necklace. 
and another at least 100, 150 pounds of kit hanging off you somewhere. Wow. And then put you in this Chinook helicopter with eight kilograms in each hand and told you basically have to stand there for 45 minutes until you reach your destination. Wow. Like, hmm, okay. Uh, and that was one of the single most, one of the single hardest experiences I can remember as, as far as kind of mind over body games, being, being a brand new sprog marine you know you didn't drop the grenades or didn't drop the um the mortar rounds and think that you know have you have the senior marines in the helicopter looking at you thinking that you can't you know manage your own kit um yeah that was uh, uh I, so the one thing i remember is landing in this hot zone this like a war zone there's, there's literally explosions going off all around us while the Taliban were mortaring the um, uh, one para that we were uh, ripping so um, taking over from and um, the only thing that anyone cared about was putting these oh, mortar bombs down <laughs> you know, so you're running off the back of the Chinook helicopter in, into a war zone and nobody cared literally about anything apart from relieving the pain in your hands from carrying these blooming things for the last 45 minutes. Wow. I, 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 the, the memory of putting that down after 45 minutes is still pretty vivid. No it's, um, kidding. Like, ah, okay, well, you're um, in a war zone. Right, yeah, let's crack on with a job at hand. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah. That, that's where uh, your drill comes in handy, though, uh, in, in a way. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Um, so uh, this is a long shot, but there's a base near where I live uh, called CFB Southfield. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, you heard of it, but it, the Canadian government uh, they loan it out to uh, to the UK, uh, and actually uh, Prince Harry was here a few years ago training. Uh, so. Uh, have you heard of it before? Have you ever been here or no? I can't say I have. Okay. Uh, no. Yeah, sorry. No, that, that's totally fair. I just uh, had to uh, ask that because uh, they use it. Well, I know uh, they used to use it a lot during uh, the Afghanistan days because the, the Tyrion Hill uh, is like Afghanistan in a way. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's still well used by them. Uh, so, how has your fitness routine changed from being a loyal marine to now? Wow, hugely, hugely. Um, there's this uh, the ethos of certainly training in the core. I'm not sure what it's like training in the less superior units of the. Training within the Royal Marines, with you know, you go out for a four to six mile run every morning, including intervals along a really hilly route. Uh, you go off doing your, uh, there'd be you know, body weight intervals, uh, sprint intervals, all sorts. That would be every morning. Generally in the afternoon, we do some sort of circuit training or weight training or boxing, rope climbing, some sort of sports. And the general mental attitude was go hard or go home. 
Now, I get that because that's kind of the attitude that you need to adopt for a war zone. You know, if you kind of have to work through pain barriers. Um, but there's this <laughs> the, the big problem with training that way that we were all basically too blind and ignorant to see was the sick bay was always full of broken Marines who'd injured themselves training yeah. rather than injured themselves. You know, you know, when, when you, when you're doing physical training, you should be constantly getting better and better and better and never going down, you know, hurting yourself. And that's basically because we'd been trained to kind of work through pain barriers which, like I say, I, I get because of the uh, the need to just crack on regardless when you're in a war zone. But I think, um, so certainly my, the, the whole the training principles and methods that I adopt now are vastly different. I listen to pain, uh, certainly when it comes to strength training. In the Marines, we didn't even know what strength training was. The only reason you went into the gym was to lift weights for the sole purpose of getting big so you can go on holiday and look good naked. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that's the only reason that we're, we're all Marines. What we pride ourselves on is our fast, efficient combat drills, ability to change a mag quickly, kill the enemy, run over a mountain carrying kit when we need to. We have no need to, you know, bench press 200 pounds. Doesn't come into it in the slightest, and the, the crossover doesn't exist either. Um, you know, you look around a Royal Marines gym, and everyone's just doing uh, like band work, kind of um, uh, uh, bodybuilding type type work. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that what we specifically were there to do was to increase our cardiovascular ability, which is essentially what you need. To, to win fights. Um, strength, I, I just wish that I'd known then what I know now and trained strength and power a lot better, being able to identify weak areas, as in looking at all the components that make up complete fitness, instead of just focusing on that little bubble of power endurance that everyone kind of defaults to because that's their strength. Stop me if I'm going on a little bit, but no, uh, that's fine. But generally, everybody defaults to their strengths, right? So, yeah. you know, you go to a gym and you're kind of stuck for something to do if you don't have a program. So you just go in and do the things that you're good at. Yeah. Well, generally speaking, in the military, I'll, I'll try and make this look for, for the whole military instead of just Royal Marine specific. Um, the whole military, what we're generally good at is cardiovascular. Yeah. No. Um. That, uh, sorry. Uh, that being said, uh, what you know now with kettlebells, do you think it would have uh, helped uh, during your time as a Royal Marine? For sure, yeah. Um, and I think more so. Kettlebells for sure, but more so just understanding movement and mobility. Um, you know, to, to come back from one of these six-mile runs that I mentioned in the morning, generally we would go and spend the next 20 minutes on the pull-up bars just doing pull-ups, yeah. where, um, where one guy would be the guy stretching, and he'd normally be the one that people are making fun of, saying, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's being jack and not doing his pull-ups, he's just having a stretch in the field. But, yeah. you know, had I known 
then, what I know now, um, you know, soldiers across the world would be doing daily mobility, at least 20 minutes every day to be, be doing groundwork, to be doing crawling, be doing kettlebell ballistics, be doing kettlebell grinds, and then mixed in with the cardiovascular components and some raw strength work such as deadlifts um, and a lot of single leg work, single sided work for injury prevention. Um, yeah, and none of that existed. And uh, I, I would love to be in an op and have the opportunity someday to kind of positively affect the way that military are trained. Um, so yeah, I know for sure James and I in Strength Matters would at some point very soon we're going to come up with like this um, manual that uh, we can kind of give to ex-servicemen. Awesome. I think all generally speaking, you have to, when you're talking about the matter, you have to kind of make general assumptions. And generally speaking, all military personnel, when they leave, they have the same things in common. We've got Jack, so tight, locked up feet and ankles, missing dorsiflexion because we've spent so many years wearing boots, which in itself, if, you, if it was just that and nothing else, that's like huge problems to deal with. All of a sudden you've got vulnerable knees and lack of function in the hips and shoulders and all sorts. Um, from being in this rigid, stiff, upright position that we know so well from marching, then we're lacking the... Um, a rotation in our T-spine, extension in the T-spine. Uh, for those of us who spent a lot of time carrying heavy kit around, then we've generally got kyphosis and all those other bits as well. And then you've got all the injuries that also military people have that have come through pushing yourself beyond pain barriers. So normally you've got kind of wrist problems, shoulder problems. Um, so we, we, what I'd like to do and I kind of promised myself I will do, but because we've got so many other things going on in Strength Matters at the moment, uh, we will do. I'll, I'll make the promise. We will come out with it. We'll come out with like a little manual, a little guidebook that will help ex-service personnel all around just kind of deal with the problems that they're dealing with musculoskeletally and give them kind of a smart training plan that will help them get some injury resilience back. Nice. That's great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that because uh, I think that will be a really great niche. There's a lot of uh, vets out there like you and me. <laughs> so um, in the interview, uh, you touched on the fact that getting out of the mob, uh, what we say here in Canada, uh, getting out of the military, I'm not sure if you guys have a nickname for it, but uh, oh, what was the hardest um uh, you said it was the hardest part of your life. It was one of mine, too. Uh, can you elaborate uh, a little bit on this? Uh, because I don't think a lot of people understand. For me, anyways, I had a hard time uh, uh, sticking with a job. Uh, I would go from job to job, and it wasn't until I opened up my uh, studio, Bisbee's Fitness, that everything fell into place. Yeah, sure. Um, just I could talk about this easily for half an hour, so um, I'll try and sum it up. A little time limit, sorry. <laughs> I think, so to, to try and shorten it as much as possible, um, the biggest problem, in my, this is just my opinion, yep. and, and I've formed this opinion through my own struggles and the struggles of 
many servicemen that I've known on a personal level who've come out. I think the biggest problem stems from a perceived lack of control over one's own life. In the military, you're pretty much in control of everything. All right, you don't really get control about where you go and what you do to that extent, but all the little things in life that matter, you know, going to bed, sorting out all your your personal admin, um, you get your beer money in the bank account on time every month, everything's taken care of, accommodation's taken care of, your friends are there, everybody's there in the same position. It's a very comfortable environment. As soon as you leave that environment and go into City Street, all of a sudden, everything's chaos. You don't have control over your money. You don't have control over anything. You know, I suppose that's why getting your own gym helped because that then gave you, gave you back that control. Exactly. The, um, the, the leading cause of all psychological stress, like the umbrella reason, is a perceived lack of control. Um, and you, know, you can put all the other reasons underneath that one thing. Um, so... That's kind of my insight in the shortest possible way is the reason why it's so hard is because of a lack of control that isn't really foreseen. The people who leave are like, they're really pleased to be leaving at last. It's like, yay, I'm no no longer under this regime or whatever the reason they left. But then all all of a sudden, you know, like I said, all, all of those constant things in your life are just gone and you're just on your own. Nobody's got your back. No income's coming, bills, 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 no control. And I think that's that's the overall reason. But obviously, there's, there's a PTSD factor, but I think if the overall lack of control didn't exist, then I think like PTSD would be a lot lower as well. Yeah, right on. Um, so the last part of the podcast, uh, this is called No Bull. So rapid fire questions, just uh, one or two words. So uh, best purchase under $100. Oh, uh, um, I think Riff, he only charges $100. He's in- <laughs> He's in Santa Cruz. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> you only charge $100? So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Beatles or Elvis? Beatles. Nice. Favorite quote and by who? Hmm. Oh, I'm so bad at quotes. Yeah, no, no, no. That noise. Oh, we'll skip it. Uh Favorite song that you sing out loud in the shower uh, that no one's listening? Don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Awesome. And uh, favorite book? Okay. Favorite one recently, Boys in the Boat. Nice. Um, beer or whiskey? Whiskey. Jack Daniels? No, oh. proper whiskey. The good whiskey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, strength matters. Yes. Right on. Oh, no, no, that's fine. Um, so is there anything else that you would like to say to the audience today that is listening? Um, I would say eat real food, breathe, give up chairs. Embrace the floor and walk as walk everywhere you can possibly walk to. 
Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Phil. It has been a pleasure. I hope you enjoy the weather in San Diego. Yeah, thank you, Scott. It's been great. Thank you. Cheers. I want to thank Philip for joining us on the podcast this week. Philip, that was excellent. Thank you very much. Now, for all you guys listening in, if you like the podcast, rate us on iTunes. Because if you rate us on iTunes, the more people will be able to hear this. Thanks, everyone, and see you in, in a few weeks.